This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the shuttered husk of your local GameStop, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the hottest stonk tips from the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Diamond Hands. I'm Paper Hands. I'm Hold. And I'm To the Moon. And today on the podcast, our interview with Bloodsport Captain Justin Marple. As always, we'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BehindTheBots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time now for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 42 people participate in Snap Decisions. Two of us managed to call seven out of seven fights correctly, including the two upsets. Those were two-time winner Joseph Somers and Benjamin Grossman. Congratulations to you both. Ben, if you're listening, PMS your mailing address and we'll send you some stickers. Taking a closer look at the data, the sure shot last week was Rotator versus the Big Dill, with 42 out of 42 people correctly predicting that Rotator would win. The biggest upset was the main event, with just 10 people correctly predicting that Scorpius would win. All right, let's run through this week's fight card. I can't wait to hear your predictions, especially because uh, I've given zero thought <laughs> to this lineup. I haven't had time, really, the, so I'm, I'm looking forward to stealing your best thoughts. So, uh, Chris, Kyle, uh, Lindsay, are you ready? I went over the fight card with my kids at dinner today. Uh, so I have, I have uh, some insider information from my six-year-old who almost always guesses right. They are remarkably accurate, Kyle. Um, so, you know, this this might be your week, your, your seven out of seven week. Please, please, please. Diamond hands. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's start off with uh, with our opening match, Shatter versus Captain Shredderator. What do we know about this? Opening match is usually pretty explosive. Captain Shredderator coming off of a big win. Um, your thoughts here, Kyle. You know it is Captain Shed that we are talking about. Let's get that right. <laughs> all right, Kyle, give, give the context for Captain Shed. Uh, so we are all BattleBots supporters. Uh, that means we pay $5 a month to learn information a few days earlier than the rest of the BattleBots fans. And um, the reason we are able to talk about this fight card on this podcast uh, when we record on a Monday is because we are BattleBots supporters. We get to see the fight card a little bit early. And the nice part about being a BattleBots supporter is you also get the added job of being the BattleBots social media spell checkers um, <laughs> because they occasionally have some pretty hilarious misspellings on the fight cards or on the posts about the fight cards. And today we get Shatter versus Captain Shed. 
<laughs> All right. Are you sure that that maybe there's there's a late entry, you know, uh, to the competition? It's just a 500 pound walker shed. <laughs> a shed on four legs. I would love that so much, but there's no active weapon. Maybe the door, the door yeah. opening. That could be yeah. it. Yeah. It's um, also it's it's important to you know understand what what shed configuration Captain Shed is going to bring in. Uh, <laughs> Is it going to be uh, A-frame? Is it going to bring out the Quaker, uh, the Amish, the mini barn? You know, <laughs> there's so many different configurations that Captain Shed has that, you know, uh, it's going to be very difficult for Shatter to kind of plan ahead and build a strategy. I know that Paul Ventimiglia is very uh, big into building sheds himself. So I wonder if this is actually a code name for a secret bot that Paul is playing Uh uh, this season, like maybe he just snuck in with with a bot named Captain Shed. It's very interesting. Very interesting. This could be like a special entry by Lisa Winter, and then it might be a she shed. Mm, love mm. that. Yeah, if 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 it was my Captain Shed, you know, you you'd open up those doors, and the active weapon would just be rakes falling on you. So uh. we found out that's very effective. Um, okay, uh, Kyle. Shatter versus Captain Shed. Uh, who who are you going with in this match? Uh, every member of my family went with Shatter, uh, but we're also all from Brooklyn, and therefore uh, we feel a special kinship to the Shatter team. So there we go. Shatter is our, our prediction. Uh, Chris Lindsay? Uh, hidden under the front of that blade of armor is um, some some uh, very incredible armor, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Uh, Shatter is most likely going to be in a position where they can continue to ram uh, Captain Shredderator and um, you know a few uh, a few pinball machines off of the walls and uh, maybe a precise hit. Uh, my guess is that it's going to be going towards Shatter. Okay, we are seeing better reliability so far with uh, with Captain Shredderator. You know, especially because they've gone back to their earlier design. Does that give you pause at all, Chris? Um, well, I, I think that if anything, Captain Shredder's biggest problem is that they're unable to pause. Sometimes mm. even 40 minutes to an hour after the match. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. All right, Lindsay, your prediction? Shatter, and I can't wait to see it. Okay. Do you guys remember when uh, Captain Shredderator went up against Chomp and Chomp kept hitting them and turned their like on-off switch on and off like four or five times throughout the match? <laughs> I really uh, hope that happens this time. Just, just fondly remembering that fight. Well, after that, that's when he had to change from, um, you know, just using the clapper as an on and off button for Captain <laughs> Trip. <laughs> yes, and he I just love that. With the regular button. That was uh, that was. This this is a tough one um, because I, I think it's going to come down to reliability and pushing power. Um, I, I haven't I haven't had a huge amount of. Um, faith in Shatter's pushing power with its omnidirectional wheels, but I haven't had a lot of faith in the reliability of Captain Shredderator. Um, I wonder if after their kind of debacle in the, um, the battle box last, uh, like earlier this season in their most recent fight, whether they are going back and putting in, you know, um, a different fail safe and that will, result in um, some design challenges. So I'm going to go with Shatter uh, just based off of their win-loss record. Um, 
But I think that this is going to be a really, really good fight. Okay, on over to Hijinks versus Chomp. Two incredibly cool robots, both captained by women in the sports. Kyle, your prediction here. Okay, so I don't want to make a prediction because I like both of these bots and I want them both to win. Mm. Uh, but we can't have nice things like both of the bots you like in the same fight winning. So um, that being said, I'm going to go with hijinks on this one. Okay, interesting. I just think a really like long boy undercutter is exactly not the type of robot you want to go up against with Chomp. Hmm. Okay. Right. I I'm getting weird um, uh, callbacks from Mortal Kombat to the arcade game, and it's like you could uh, you could be the most incredible Sub Zero player. But all it takes is one person to play Liu Kang and just do the leg sweep over and over and over and over again, and you're not gonna get it. You're not gonna win that. You're not gonna win that match. Hmm. I don't. Maybe I'm the only person that has deep Mortal Kombat two pains. Uh, no, I, I I understand it. So, are you going with hijinks, Chris? Well, I want to say yes, uh, but. I think that the weight is going to play into uh, account here. Um, you know, we we haven't really seen what a uh, what a horizontal spinner can do to that side paneling that is around the base of um, of Chomp. And you know, I, I'm I'm wondering if if Hijinks isn't spun up enough, whether Hijinks is going to kind of ricochet off of. Uh, off of Chomp, and if that's the case, um, you know, I, I would give the advantage to Chomp. Ah, this one's tough. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that's gonna likely be the scenario, uh, and I will give this one to Chomp. Mm. However, it's it's really it's it depends on how well that person plays uh, Luke Hang. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, we have uh, one prediction for hijinks, one prediction for Chomp. Uh, will you be the tiebreaker here? Um, wow. Yeah. It, you know, like, like Chris said, it's really going to come down to how well that skirt protects those legs. Um, I feel, I feel like it's going to be able to, you know, at least whether the damage that hijinks will be able to deal to it, um, it might not be pretty, I wonder if it'll be able to get under the skirt because I don't think the skirt actually is on the floor. This is a weird, weird match that is going to, it's, I don't know that anybody is going to be able to be confident in calling it. Um, but I am, I'm going to give it to Chomp. I, I can see Chomp pulling it, this one out. Okay. I'm going to go with hijinks. Um, it's a risk because we've seen Chomp in top form in its fight against Gamma 9. And our first look at hijinks, um, we saw some reliability issues. However, that team is super, um, super experienced. And I suspect that they will go back to the pits and really dial in the reliability of that huge blade. Um, and I think that they will get under Chomp and, uh, and do some damage to the undercarriage of that, that walking robot. Um, 
but this one is really tough to call and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I think this is going to be a really good one. All right. On over to our next fight, Claw Viper versus Gigabyte. Kyle, your prediction. Ooh, this one's a hard one to call too. Um, there is a very good chance that Claw Viper does the box rush perfectly and wins this fight just by keeping them in the corner. We've seen that Claw Viper can be uh, pretty durable. Uh, but, man, after Gigabyte's last fight, it's kind of hard to bet against them. Mm. I'm going to give it to Claw Viper with the huge caveat that I could be very wrong and there could be claws and parts of Viper all over the um, box after this fight. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, Claw Viper versus Gigabyte. Hmm. This is tough. Yeah, this one's really tough. Uh, because I have chosen a spinner to lose before, I will choose a spinner to win now. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, your thoughts? Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for a Claw Viper. Okay. I think that their speed will um allow them to kind of get the get the better of Gigabyte. I'm going to go with Gigabyte, but I don't feel super confident about that That's prediction. Um, Gigabyte is really hit or miss. When it's hit, it's super powerful, packs a huge kinetic punch. When it's miss, it kind of gets in its own way. You know, it's, its reliability issues are pretty serious. I think that this is going to come down to kinetic energy. Um, so we'll just have to see. Um, okay, on over to our fourth fight of the night. Traditionally, one of our one of our better fights, Slamo versus Witch Doctor. This is Craig Danby's biggest stage so far, taking on a top bot in Witch Doctor. Your thoughts here, Kyle? I am super pumped about this fight. I am super pumped about this fight. Uh, this fight split my family right down the middle. Believe it really? or not. Okay. Yes. Um, so a lot of this depends on how Witch Doctor's weapon's feeling. They, you know, have got to get new weapon discs while at the tournament, and none of that's easy, especially not during COVID times. Um, or they've got to re-harden the ones that they've got. They've got some options there, but none of them are good. None of them are fun. Um, and Slamo probably already built, like, six plows that would be appropriate for using against a Witch Doctor because <laughs> they've mm. had so much time. So um, I'm going to give it to Slamo. Uh, okay. Half of my family disagrees with me, though. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, your thoughts? Oh wow! Um, I am going to go with Witch Doctor, and I don't know for sure why. Is that a fair <laughs> answer? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good one, uh, Lindsay. Your your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Witch Doctor. Uh, if anybody can kind of get the kinks worked out and, you know, figure out a way to kind of fix the, the, um, material issue that they're having, it's Witch Doctor. They're very well resourced. They have a lot of connections. Um, they're, they're in a good position, I imagine, to be able to, you know, figure that out and, and treat it. Um, but... Man, I would be so happy for Craig Danby <laughs> if, yeah. if Slamo wins. 
I can only imagine, you know, the, the feeling that he would have being able to defeat um, Witch Doctor. So either way, I'm going to be happy. Um, but I, you know, I, I do see Witch Doctor taking this one. If they don't, I wonder what that means for the the top 32. It's it's unfathomable to think that Witch Doctor wouldn't be in there. But um, some of their showings were pretty good and some are okay. So maybe that's enough to get them into the top 32. But it's all speculation until we see what happens in this match. After their uh, their most recent fights, uh, Mike and Andrea Golightly both said that they were going to go out and try and find... A, a local machine shop to cut another weapon disc, uh, which is intriguing. We may see that new weapon in this fight. Um, it's a big factor, you know, to to go out and build a weapon in one or two days, <clears throat> put it into the box. Um, I will give it to Witch Doctor. I have a lot of faith in their pit crew and um, the knowledge on that team. Although I agree with you, Lindsay, I would be so pumped if Craig Danby won, um, won really the, the biggest fight of his BattleBots career um, this Thursday. All right, on over to Gruff versus Extinguisher. Two Florida teams. Kyle, your thoughts here. Well, um, I really hope the Extinguisher module comes out to put out Gruff's Flames. Yeah, yeah, we've been hearing about that. Uh, right. Kyle, tell us a little, a little bit more about that. So one of the cool things that Jonathan Flack has done, um, as I think it was his senior project for high school, mm-hmm. he developed using the old chassis of uh, Extinguisher, a bot that could go put out lipo fires remotely. Um, and the spray nozzle and whatnot from that, he has included as a module he can put on the current extinguisher robot for when he is facing flamethrowers. And it would essentially put out the flames and make it so that the um, flamethrowers would not be able to ignite easily again for the rest of the fight as they would be covered in flame retardant uh, liquids or gels. I'm not exactly sure what he's spraying out. It looks like a liquid. Um, so he's got permission to use it and it would be really cool to see him deploy it against the two scariest flamethrowers in the game, which is the left one and the right one on Gruff. Got it. That, that was my big question. I, I wasn't certain that he had been approved already to, to use it. He had talked about it in the preseason and I think they kind of make those decisions once you get to Long Beach when they kind of take a look at it. I know that they, they don't want to have gels inside of the box. They don't want to have anything that obscures the view inside of the box, you know, creates a smoke screen. Um, so I, I think that that's a big factor, unless you've heard something else that, that I haven't about that, that module being approved. I, this is odd because I cannot cite this source, but I seem to remember John talking in a comment thread about how he got permission to use that this year. I could be completely and totally making that up, but I seem to remember John talking about that in a comment thread on the BattleBots group. I will have to look for that later. Got it. Got it. Um, but um, as far as the winner goes, it's it's going to be gruff. Got it. Okay. Chris, Lindsay, your prediction. I mean, uh, gruff has shown us his reliability and you know tenacity in the box. I'm going to have to go with gruff. Okay. 
Uh, I I too will go with Gruff, but I hope that John is able to use the technology that he developed, if for no other reason than just to be able to show it off on TV and be like, "Hey, I I kind of invented this," <laughs> I while I was in high school. Um, so that is is really neat. Um, but ultimately, I think I think it'll go to Gruff. Okay, clean sweep for me. I will also go with Gruff. All right, on over to Adam94 versus Perfect Phoenix. Interesting that uh, Perfect Phoenix kind of also has another Ray Billings story. As they said twice now on the show, Adam94 is being mentored by Ray Billings. And obviously, Perfect Phoenix was rebuilt, refurbished by, by Ray Billings. Um, so your thoughts here, Kyle. I think that there is a backstory that we're not hearing about where Ray made the selection committee very angry with him because they said, we're going to put you up against a robot that was designed to defeat your robot. And then we're going to put the two robots that you're assisting and basically helping their team build everything from the ground up against each other. So no matter what, you're going to have to go help them with damage too. Poor Ray. It's a, uh, it's a conspiracy this year. I think so. I think it's just not nice. <laughs> it's just not nice. Um, no, so this is going to be a really fun fight. I think that you have to give it to Perfect Phoenix. Um, we've just seen that robot be a little bit more reliable um, and a little bit more destructive, and you cannot ever discount Tyler's driving. Mm, okay. Chris, Lindsay? I would say if, if Adam94 was... A bit more of uh, you know a dense bot if it was uh, you know a little sturdier and probably had a, a you know a, a little bit more uh, energy stored up in that weapon you know that's this is a fight that it could win but um you know perfect phoenix is like a dialed in death machine so I will go with perfect phoenix. Lindsay, your thoughts? I think reliability takes this one, and for that reason, I'm saying perfect phoenix. This one was tough for me because we've seen Adam94 improve their performance over the course of their last two matches. But I, I, I still see some fundamental design flaws with that robot. Um, and I think it may end the season going 0-3. Uh, so I'm also going to go with Perfect Phoenix. Okay, on over to our main event. Good one here. I'm so stoked about this. Black Dragon versus Copperhead. Kyle, your thoughts. This is going to be such a fun fight. It is really hard to call who's actually going to win this. Um, I'm going to give it to Copperhead because they're on a bit of a tear right now. But that could very easily be wrong. And really when we're coming down to the physics of the weapon, I think Black Dragon's got a little bit of an advantage. But nonetheless, I'm sticking with Copperhead. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? I think it's pretty cool. I'll just say um, I think it's pretty cool that Black Dragon and Copperhead is the main event in in this uh, in this matchup. Normally, you would see one of these bots kind of like attached to more of a household name bot, and the fact that we have Black Dragon and Copperhead as the main event, uh, good on both of them. Um, I would say that in this matchup, I'm probably going to side with Kyle and say Copperhead. Okay. Okay. Lindsay? Ooh. I don't know. 
I just don't know. Um, I, I, think, I think if you predict a tie correctly, uh, you win like all, 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 all of the, all of the show. <laughs> um, ooh, I, um, so I am going to say for this fight, um, Black Dragon, because I think that over their last two fights, they've kind of, you know, maybe started off a little, a little rockier than we were used to, but they've kind of come truer to form to what we, um, you know, what, what we came to know last year. And so I think uh, if they can take down Minotaur, they can take down Copperhead. And that's that's my view. Okay. I am going to go with Copperhead. I think that this match will come down to the ground game. Who can get under their opponents? We've seen Copperhead with these floor-shaving wedges. That, um, that really cool, um, what, what like, you know, these, these kind of, organic looking forks that came out. Um, and I think that's really going to be key. We do know that that Copperhead is physically smaller. It has smaller dimensions, but its weapon is bigger. It has a bigger kind of uh, surface area. I think for those reasons, we're going to see them get under Black Dragon and really toss that robot around. I think this is going to be an explosive match, a super destructive match. It'll come down to reliability in the ground game. And I think the Copperhead has that this, this season. Mm. All right. If you are shouting at your podcast player, you want to send us your predictions, take a look at our uh, fight card post on Wednesday night, send them in before Thursday afternoon and uh, get in on this week's round of snap decisions. Time now for this week's Combat Robotics news. I have one news item for you today. BattleBots Bounty Hunters is returning to Discovery Plus later this month with two additional legends in the sport. BattleBots this week released details about those legends and the bots they're facing on the BattleBots supporters page on Facebook. So if you haven't done so already, sign up to become a supporter and give your favorite TV show $5 a month. I am very excited about this. I can reveal that uh, for the first time in like six months, I actually did a little bit of advanced work and I booked next week's guest. We're going to have BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson on the show next week to talk about BattleBots Bounty Hunters and obviously kind of our midway point of this season. So watch out for that post. Um, It's going to be going up Thursday or Friday and send in your questions to Greg Munson. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode eight. I feel like a broken record. I feel like I've said this earlier this season, but this week I promise I really mean it. This is peak BattleBots. This episode was a perfect BattleBot sandwich, thrilling matches at the top and the bottom of the episode, delicious bread, right? With this wonderful, tasty upset right in the middle that honestly made me tear up alongside Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters. I went into this week realistically expecting no upsets and came out with not one, but two upsets and a fantastic opening fight from Kraken. So let's jump right into that fight. Kraken versus Huge. My first standing ovation of the night. Matt's Burke and Kraken coming out with that spear attached to the front of the robot. This is the anti-huge attachment that the people really wanted to see. Um, If you were upset about the bike rack, you know, two or three weeks ago, 
the spear is really kind of the the attachment that you want and it worked which was huge uh that very first hit kraken's spear hooked onto huge's body he managed to climb up and stop that blade blasting huge with fire i couldn't believe it um but huge managed to spin up and just start bashing kraken in the head um bits and pieces of kraken's armor just strewn about the battle box but we really saw a huge amount of reliability from kraken uh it went the full three minutes and it's very clear that that Matt has stamped his his entry to the top 32 um, because, as we know, on BattleBots, sometimes a strong loss is better than a weak win. So your thoughts on this fight? I thought it was a it was a fantastic match. Um, seeing like Kraken improvise in a way that, you know, still kept it fun was great. Um, and it was an interesting back and forth because. We saw both bots in some very uh, compromising situations. Um, you know, at some point, uh, you know, Kraken was nestled under Huge, and at some times, Huge was uh, kind of, uh, you know, throwing himself at Kraken. Uh, it was. Um, I almost, I almost wanted to avert my eyes for a few seconds. I'll actually. I'm gonna play just a, a moment of the the clip from this from this episode, this fight. Okay. And that, you know, that was that was that was some really intense bot on bot action. <laughs> I think that that's how they make mini bots, Chris. Uh, I uh, I will say that I said last week, what is Kraken going to bite? Yeah. And the first thing that happens in this match was Kraken bites right on Huge's face. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what Kraken's going to bite. Got it. I stand corrected. All right. Uh, this was a great match all the way around. I loved every second of it. I'm glad the harpoon worked as well as it did. And... Quite frankly, I was kind of nervous during the judge's decision because I was not sure if they were going to give it to Huge or not. I know that the fans love to be apocalyptic, um, so I will ask the question that they are asking this week. Is Huge the design? Has it been solved for? You know, we've seen now two attachments that have been pretty effective against Huge. Is that robot's advantage in the battle box nullified with these smart attachments? I think the attachments, you know, depending on what it is, can make it more of a fair fight. Um, but I, I don't think that you're ever, unless you literally make an attachment where you do not have to get anywhere near huge, which is what we saw with Hydra. Um, you're never, you're never going to mitigate what it can do. You're just going to maybe give yourself more of a fighting chance. Well said. I'm looking forward to seeing more of these attachments. Um, I thought the bike rack was brilliant even though it was a little boring. I thought this spear was brilliant, but super exciting. Really looking forward to the third attachment that comes out against uh, against Huge, although I'm sure that uh, Jonathan Schultz is uh, does not share my, my enthusiasm. <laughs> this, I, just, I just can't say enough good, though, about, about this fight and how fun it was. It's probably one of my top five favorite fights of the entire series. Um, and... 
I just think Kraken has come out of this season looking like a real contender. Like, this is a bot that's not going to die. It's not going to give up. It's going to keep fighting no matter how many blows to the face it has. And, I mean, the level of reliability that Matt has been able to achieve with Kraken is is really an accomplishment within itself and something really exciting to see. I, I would rather watch, you know full three-minute fights where you get that much action than really anything else. And and that's something that is is really honestly kind of rare um, with all these high-powered and, and highly destructive bots. And the fact that he's able to make that happen, I think, is just not only good TV, but, but really good for the sport. Lindsay, I feel bad saying this, but... Uh... Earlier, like so two or three months ago, before the show started airing, I cast a, a cynical eye toward these posts coming out from builders, um, from BattleBots itself, from some of the judges saying that this was the best season of BattleBots ever. Um, you know, like they had these teasers where they said, best fight of BattleBots history. And I really thought, you know, you know, like maybe it's just a little bit of marketing hype, you know, for a for a season that didn't have an audience. But I totally believe it. Like this season has been incredible. We've seen iconic fights. We've seen fights that that absolutely dwarf anything that happened in 2020. You know, Mammoth versus Huge, Huge versus Kraken. Um I guess a lot of fights involving huge, you know, um, like real moments of emotion on, on the show. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a believer. I've, I've turned from a, a skeptic to a, to a believer for, for this season. All right. On to our second fight of the night, Ribot versus Axolotl. Our first look at Axolotl. Quick match here though, with Ribot cruising to a knockout in just 47 seconds. Two student teams with a pretty significant experience gap. The Ribot team competes a bunch on the local combat robotics circuit on the East Coast, while the Axolotl team is made up of true rookies to the sport. In this match, we learn that Axolotl had already recorded a loss earlier in the season in an unaired fight against War EZ. But the team managed to soldier on and appear on the spinoff show BattleBots Bounty Hunters, so we know that they were able to fix uh, their, their robots and, and continue to fight. But with two losses and so-so reliability, it looks increasingly unlikely that Axolotl will advance to the top 32. Your thoughts on this fight and maybe some of the controversy after the fight. Yeah, this was, um, you know, kind of the fight that you'd expect. You've got a very reliable, very powerful bot in Ribot. You saw them do what they do. And um, then you saw them yell, send it and throw their bot full force into uh, Axolotl right there at the end. I think the reasoning for that was A, fun. B, everyone there is a fan of Robot Carnage and wants to see it. Um, and C, I think they really wanted to let the selection committee know that they're going to put on fun fights, entertaining fights, um, and make it a spectacle regardless of who they're working with and what the match goes like. And, um, you know, that's a good case, a good case to put forward that you should put them in the round of 32. And, uh, I 
personally don't see any controversy at all, especially given what Ribot said about the match afterwards. I got, um, and listen, disagree with me, please, if you do, but I got kind of like high school bully vibes uh, in this fight, you know, Robot so overpowered, send it, let's hit it one more time, you know, that kind of thing. Um, did other fans agree with me this this week? It, it looked like there was a lot, you know, a number of people who thought maybe that Ribot was bullying Axolotl or kind of going overboard on, on, in terms of aggression. But I do think that Ribot's Facebook post that kind of explained, you know, what happened before the fight and, and the conversations that Ribot had with uh, the Axolotl team really, you know, kind of put a lot of that to rest. They, they, Axolotl knew that their first couple of fights of the season were probably not going to make it to air. And I can't think of anything worse than, you know, coming all that way, probably building a bot in a month, like many other teams had to just to, just to be there. Um, and, and coming all that way and then not having any fights make it to air. So I would do what Axolotl did and say, hey, as long as we are still functioning in some way, like don't end the fight. Keep on hitting us because we want to make TV. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Ribot was able to really have a, a dream showing, being able to showcase what they're able to do to the selection committee. And Axolotl made it to TV. And it was cool seeing them. And I'm, I'm really happy that, that you know, we were able to. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they, what they do on bounty hunters. But I do think, you know, we only see one side of it. Obviously the television production is not going to like tell us what every, what goes on in the pits or all the conversations that like lead up to a fight, but Ribot being able to kind of provide some of that context really makes the, the whole fight, you know, come into focus and, and make sense. And I think it was ultimately good for both teams. Well said, Lindsay. All right, on our our third fight of the night, Rotator versus the Big Dill. Tough match for Emmanuel Carrillo and the Big Dill. We've now seen a couple matches where the Big Dill's forks get bent into weird shapes, and you've got to wonder if his fork design is something that Emmanuel is going to reconsider in the offseason. I had expected the Big Dill to come out with a heavy plow configuration, put its forks straight up in the air, keep them out of harm's way, and try to break Rotator's blade before really using that lifting mechanism. That didn't happen. Instead, it came out with its forks out front, and they were bent nearly immediately. Meanwhile, Rotator revealed that it was 35 pounds underweight for this match after Victor decided to run less armor in hopes of getting more maneuverability in the box. Your thoughts on this fight? I think the big deal did everything right uh, in this match. I, I disagree with you. I think it was a good idea to keep those forks down as they were looking for an opportunity to get underneath and kind of upend rotator onto their blade. Um, I think that they thought their forks would be low enough to stay under the undercutter. And that's just not how that worked out for them. Um, but honestly, what this really comes down to is excellent driving by Victor Soto and Victor making the right modifications on his bot to where Big Dill had no options. They had nothing to grab onto. So when they lifted just a little bit, those forks got completely discombobulated. Um, this was a respectable match for Emmanuel Creo. He did a great job driving and you know he really held out there for a long time against a very destructive bot. Um, I don't think this, you know, diminishes his stock any. Uh, 
And uh, I think that it really showcased how good of a tactician and driver Victor can be when he's having a really good day like he was today. Kyle, uh, like many fans, I purchased the Rotator Hexbug, um, or got it for, for Christmas, I should say. And, uh, you know, I'm sure for, for fans of the, the original design, they're probably wondering where that second blade is. I feel like I haven't seen it in, in several matches. Is Rotator now permanently a single blade undercutter? Oh, gosh, I think so. I mean, he said the only way he can do the double blade configuration with two, because he, he changed it so that it's two separate motors, right? Um, and he has to use 20-pound blades to do the double blade configuration, mm. which means he needs to fight somebody with no armor. And that mm. is uh, not very many people. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't see him busting those things out unless he's, uh, you know, going to be in like an exhibition match or, or up against somebody that has no kinetic power to their weapon in any way, shape, or form and somebody who's not going to come at him with a big plow. That list is very short. We've now seen two big losses to two really big robots for, for the Big Dill, and one kind of middling uh, win against Adam94. Um, is this the last time that we're going to see the Big Dill on TV this year? Slash, will we see a new and improved Big Dill, uh, a more sour pickle, I guess, come back in 2021? I sure hope we see them come back. I think this is their last televised match. Maybe they're in a bounty hunter fight. Hmm. Uh, I guess we'll find that out soon. And it would be really cool if they were. Uh, this is certainly not the last we're going to see of Emmanuel. I mean, no. he's, he's in the sport. <laughs> you know, he is yeah. very yeah. in the community. Um, he was probably working on three other robots while he was at this tournament. So um, I hope it's not the last time we see Big Deal. I like the design. I think it's cool. I don't think that for, for next season they should increase the, the size of that plow, though. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it might it might make the bot overall just too cucumbersome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a good segue. Uh, okay. <laughs> On over to our fourth fight of the night. Uh, jackpot versus Lockjaw, our first upset of the night, and one that didn't leave a dry eye in the house, at least in my home. Both bots entered this fight at 2-0, looking to improve to 3-0. Last week, I described this match as youth versus experience. However, that description bugged me uh, for days afterward, and I'd like to amend it to new school of thought versus old school of thought. Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters represents a new wave of builders in combat robotics and perhaps a new era of meta design where weapon reach matters a whole lot more than conventional thinking would have you believe. Jeff cut his teeth on the beetleweight circuit and his theory of combat robotics comes out of the smaller weight classes and this relentless pace of design, build, fight, iterate. And so I could absolutely feel the emotion behind this win when Jeff burst into tears after beating Donald Hudson. This is the culmination of years of grinding, watching BattleBots with a close eye, thinking about a winning design, and building it in under a month for $4,000. Jackpot improves to 3-0, while Lockjaw falls to 2-1. Your thoughts on this match? It was so nice to see that little meme lord cry. <laughs> he, he was so happy, and 
Oh, it just felt really good. I'm glad that his buddy, his teammate, like jumped in to speak for him because he was obviously too choked up to say anything at that moment. And uh, knowing how dedicated a human Jeff Waters is to his sport and building these bots and doing the, the job that he does on them, it, it was really good to see. You know, you can't ask for better than that. You really, you really can't script these these moments of genuine emotion. Um, by this point in the competition, it's been a week and a couple days, and the builders have been spending 12, 15, 16 hour days in the pits. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff has managed to, to like kind of eke out a win early, have a much better win in the middle, kind of decapitating Ghost Raptor. And this is like the bots really kind of big, big test against a really big name, somebody who he's been looking up to for years and years and years. And to come away with such a decisive win, I can I, I can absolutely feel the emotion coming through the TV. I I, th I thought it was a really beautiful moment. And um, it's it's nice to to infuse human emotion into a into a robot show. Okay, on over to Bloodsport versus Kronos. Kronos surprised me surprisingly tough little robots. I, I think I've chronically underestimated Kronos both this season and last, but I think this match proved it. Don't sleep on Jerry Seraphin. He's been building robots since the original run of BattleBots. He's had a pretty good run with what's traditionally been a very challenging design to get right. Last season, Kronos dealt a ton of structural damage in their knockout of Copperhead. And this season went all three minutes with a top-seated bot in Bloodsport. Yes, they lost their weapon, but Kronos hung in there with good pushing power and unafraid to get in Justin's face. Uh, we're going to have Justin on in about 10 minutes where he's going to break down this fight. But any thoughts before uh, we do that on this match? Yeah, Kronos is a really cool bot. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And the fact that it is broken Copperhead last season you know, also broken itself and went three full minutes with Bloodsport this season. That's definitely going to be a bot to watch in 2022. I mean, or 2021. I, I don't see any reason why they're not going to be top of the food chain if they don't keep this momentum going. I, I'm curious though, if like the, the design itself is too challenging, the ring spinner, it's pretty hard to do right it's not the same as a shell spinner, um, which seems a little easier. You know, I have a thing, it's underneath, it's, it's, uh, it's protected, right? Um, and tough to drive, like reliability is really crucial. Um, is, is, is the design concept of a ring spinner, like is it just not top four material? Your, your thoughts? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't see why it couldn't be. Um, if you can get a shell spinner to be reliable, or if you can get a spinner like Bloodsport, which is essentially just a shell spinner, but with a bar instead of a shell, um, mm. to be reliable, I don't see why you could not get this ring spinner to be a reliable thing. Um, and they seem to have been able to get it working well um, usually towards the end of their seasons, whenever they brought them to BattleBots and also to King of Bots. So 
I think they will be fine. I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be competitive. Now, does the the full-bodied spinner design or the, the ring spinner design have inherent challenges when going up against four-wheel drive verticals? Yes. Um, but that doesn't, in my mind, that doesn't make it a design that isn't worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Or anything with a heavy plow. Uh, any Anything that uh, kind of brings the wall to you, basically, and and uh uses your own energy to to crack something inside i think is tough but we we have seen good good kinetic energy from from this robot so i i think that i may have unfairly prejudged it um so so well well done in this match um even though it, it resulted in a loss for for Kronos. okay on over to fusion versus war easy family team versus family team War EC entered this match with two untelevised fights before it, a win against Axolotl, and a loss to Slamo, which is having a great season. War EZ has been compared to Hypershock, and I can see it. Both bots are pretty sleek and stylish with a mechanical self-rider and a big vertical disc. On paper, both Fusion and War EZ have had a somewhat similar strength of schedule, and this could have probably gone either way. If you were to put them into 10 matches in a row, it might be a 4-6 split. Um, But as we saw in this match, Fusion was really shaving the floor and had some drive issues, but was fortunate to land a really big hit on War EZ, flipping it on its head and ripping off a tire. It's great to see a family team. We're really looking forward to seeing more of Jonathan Juarez and Dylan Juarez in the battle box again soon. Your thoughts on this fight? I enjoyed the fight, but I did not enjoy the fight nearly as much as I enjoyed the interview with uh, with Ewart afterwards. That was <laughs> that was excellent television. Um, the fight was good. I mean, War Easy's. You know, I felt bad for that kid <laughs> after the fight. I thought they did a great job. I, I think this bot's got some potential, or at least this design's got some potential, and I, I'm excited for them to bring it back. Um, mm. But does Ewart even want to be there? <laughs> uh, like, can... at BattleBots. Like, would he rather be in Wisconsin? Right. Is my <laughs> his, his interview screamed, I have a contractual obligation to be here. <laughs> my dad is going to be so mad at me if i don't come here like that's what it it was so weird i loved it but it was so weird i i don't know reese um we we haven't interviewed reese we um we offered an interview spot to reese and he was the first person to turn us down <laughs> so um i think maybe he's he's a little shy perhaps um or just doesn't really like talking in public about robots, um, which are both fine. Um, I, I did find his his interview pretty funny. Like I laughed out loud. Like I thought it was a pretty dark sense of humor. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe he's you know just just like not not a not a big talker. Who, who knows? You know, and that's totally cool. Okay, and on over to our main event: Scorpios versus Tombstone. Big big match. Slightly controversial match with a big upset. Fans were quick to point out that Tombstone had previously knocked out Jameson Go with Sawblaze and predicted that Scorpius would suffer a similar fate. 
I know that Scorpios has, up until this season, kind of stood in Sableys' shadow, but I really think that 2020 is proving that Scorpios is blazing its own path. This was a massive win, arguably Zach and Diana's biggest win ever on BattleBots. And it wasn't even close. They outdrove Ray Billings, picked their moments, and absolutely earned that knockout. After the match, the team posted a detailed breakdown of their fight with a slow motion replay of that one big hit that removed Tombstone's right wheel. If you haven't watched that video, go back and check it out. However, both teams later said they thought Tombstone's countout seemed a little fast, although it was clear that even if the match had gone to the judges, Scorpios would very likely have walked away with a decisive victory. Your thoughts on this main event and the controversy after the main event. If it was up to Ray Billings, the match would still be going on. <laughs> right, three months later. No wheels, uh, just, just... <laughs> two dead batteries. Yeah. Uh, it's, and now it's just a war of attrition. Who's going to starve to death first? Uh, Ray, Ray Billings did say that, um, that he should have uh, continued on in that match. And that is something that I've personally questioned. You know, I know that we've talked about this um, with, with one wheel. Uh, I don't know how you can, how you can call that not crab walking, um, but uh, good on Ray for, for that. Uh, could, could you imagine if like, j- despite the count out, if Ray just kept playing, <laughs> if he just kept fighting and like like sure maybe the fight is going on inside the box but meanwhile security is tasering him on the outside of the box <laughs> he's just holding onto that controller like no like the uh, shirtless barbarian that we know that he truly is is that right sure yeah, yeah. um I, I think I think the, the the big thing that that we saw after that was you know Ray basically said um, I could keep fighting, and I could make it to anywhere in the box. But I'm thinking to myself, how fast are you moving? Like, are you moving like half a mile an hour to any part of the box? Like, is Scorpios just able to drive circles around you, get to the back of your robots? You know, because um, because they were pushed into the corner with one wheel, and um, I can I can see why why the countout started when when it did just a flesh wound <laughs> right right it was just nice seeing their reaction you couldn't help but have a huge smile on your face yeah you're talking about zach and diana yeah and then yeah. Even, even just like seeing their social media um presence after the fight like diana is so proud of zach and and they're just such a a lovely couple and uh it, it makes me happy for them that they get to do this together just like on a human level it makes me happy uh, this was we talked about this a little bit before when we're, we were recording but uh it cannot be said enough what a great job diana did as the weapons operator in this fight her timing mm-hmm. was flawless like every mm-hmm. single one of those hits that came down were millimeters away from landing right into Tombstone's blade, and instead they hit somewhere on the frame. It was just perfectly executed. Yeah. So much of what that they did was perfectly executed, and quite frankly, that's what you have to do to beat Tombstone. Um, and one thing I will say is, while I agree with Ray that they started counting him out while he was bouncing around the box after a hit, and not while he was 
standing still, you know what I mean? Showing no translational movement. Um, he still would have lost that fight anyway. So, you know, well, I can see why he'd be annoyed about the count out, but the result would have been the same. Just my two cents. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and fight night recap. After the break, our interview with Bloodsport captain, Justin Marple. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Bloodsport captain, Justin Marple. Justin came up through Vex Robotics Team 1615 and later competed on the independent Vex U Team Bots and Stuff while studying computer engineering at the University of Massachusetts. Bots and Stuff took home a number of top awards at Vex Robotics World Championships, notably winning the Vex Robot Skills World Champion Award in 2017 and the Vex Programming Skills World Champion in 2016. In 2019, Justin got together with a couple of his former Bots and Stuff teammates to build Bloodsport, an overhead bar spinner that went deep in the competition that year, barely missing the top 16 after losing in a controversial rumble against Uppercut and Railgun Max. Despite the Bots' rookie success, Justin decided to go back to the drawing board in the offseason and come back to the competition with a brand new design. That decision has paid off so far, earning knockouts against top-ranked bots Scorpios and Endgame, and a judge's decision last week against Kronos. We're talking with Justin as we stand on the cusp of the top 32, where Bloodsport will likely earn a top seed in the competition. Looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me on. I am so stoked to have you on. Um, we, uh, we we met you in person Um in the before times, before COVID, uh, <laughs> at the Boston Children's Museum for the Mass Destruction event. Um, it was one of the coolest things that we did that year, um, being able to go to the museum and not only see Beetleweight's fight, but also to go into the museum and see all of these huge heavyweight robots on display and meet the captains from those teams. It was just such such a cool event for, uh, for, for us and for all of the hundreds of kids who went in and like were peering inside of all the robots, asking all the questions that they, they, they've always wanted to ask, I'm sure. Um, I'd love to start there, actually, with that event. You know, um, it, w- it was really cool seeing Bloodsport in person and looking at this absolutely gorgeous chassis that you had built for Bloodsport version 1.0. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, that, that chassis, like the, the, the body um, that, that you built last year? Yeah, sure. So that was the uh, that was one giant piece of aluminum that was milled out by. Uh, so the way we actually got that machined was we found some guy in California who really loved BattleBots, um, and he was willing to uh, commit a lot of machine time to milling out this just giant. How big was it? It was like like almost three feet in diameter. Um, just giant, giant. It must have been hundreds of pounds to begin with, and just milling out all these pockets and had this nice um, smooth outside that give it a nice like aesthetic look. Um, and, and where that design came from, because um, originally when we were designing Bloodsport, um, we, we, we really wanted to focus on self-writing. We wanted to make sure we didn't have the issue that every single other overhead spinner at that time had. Um, so the, the, the idea with the circular chassis is that it should be easier um, to kind of rotate the body when it's upside down and kind of either do a tornado mer dance which for people who don't know is like when you spin the chassis super hard and it kind of flips itself back over. I was going to say, I mean, like for us, 
we we came away from that event like saying to ourselves like this bot is like a work of art like um like put it up on like a, a pedestal put it into like an art museum like it is so gorgeous on the inside and i think like like the the kind of remarkable thing especially for like a rookie build is that you had to plan out the whole inside of that robot before you started it's not like hey give me a pizza box and i'll just kind of figure out a way to stuff everything in like it really was had to be thought out pretty pretty thoughtfully ahead of time. Um, can you talk about like the process of designing, designing the robot, you know, um, especially as, as a rookie team? Yeah, yeah. That the first, so that bot got designed in about three weeks, I think. No, um, really? It was, yeah, because, so you have to, when you get accepted on the show, you only get like six, seven weeks to actually build this thing. So if you want to get something that complicated designed and machined, it, there's a big lead time for a piece that big. So you can't just order that and have it next day shipped. Um, you need to wait, like you need to be two or three weeks ahead of the curve. Um, so if you want to, if you want to get this thing designed, milled out and then back, um, before shipping it out and to like actually testing it, um, you got to design this thing really, really quick. Um, so we, um, without really knowing what we were doing, <laughs> I like to say that a lot, um, cause it's very, very true. Um, now when we started this build, we didn't know what a mag motor is, um, like we didn't which for people who out there who don't know what that is either, it's like from a heavyweight standpoint, it's like in the fundamental building block of, a, you know, it's the fundamental motor that everyone uses. Um, so not knowing where that, not start, so starting from nothing and then trying to get this design done in three weeks was like one of the most chaotic, stressful, you know, fire prone things I've ever done in my life. It was incredible. Um, and yeah, so I mean, really what we did was we, we, we started with an idea. We kind of knew what we, were, what we were working with and we, focused on making it as simple as possible. So if you look in the chassis, um, that's, that's one reason we went with the build chassis because it's super, super simple. Um, there's only one piece, can't really go wrong with that as long as you have someone who can make it. Um, so we, we, had our, we, we had our four wheels, our four mag motors, we had our four motors um, or Scorpion motors, which drive the weapon, which is a big gear, direct drive. There's nothing fancy about the, the bot at all, really. It's just eight motors, ESCs, yeah, the batteries. Like there's, there's nothing really fancy about it. Um, so I think that really paid off in the long run for our first bot. Um, and really, when we were designing this first bot, we want to focus on making it. We didn't design it to be competitive. We made it to be entertaining, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully that we accomplished that goal because um, we wanted to be invited back. And then, we, and then we could spend the time on make like a more competitive bot, which is what you've seen with Bloodsport 2. You know, um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, so like for a lot of, builders on the show like they are super fans first they like watch a ton of battle bots they really think a lot about their design and think when i eventually put in my application to greg and trey it's going to be x it's going to be a lifter it's going to be an overhead bar spinner you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. how much thought did you put into the design ahead of time like has this been in the back of your mind for years you know or or what you know can you tell us about kind of your pre-application thought process sure. sure yeah so i'm pretty new to the scene relatively speaking um like i i grew up watching like like comedy when i was really really little i mean like five years old i used to watch the comedy central um battle bots but i never really got super super into it um i i did mostly you know high school robotics and those sort of competitions and i watched the show on occasion but i wasn't like a super fan per se um and then Eventually, I got motivated. Like I, I, I got into BattleBots a little bit, and I started building little beetle weights. And the original um, 
originally what I wanted to design actually was a bot that used like a, it's, it's, it sounds a little weird, but I wanted to build a bot that competed in a autonomous fighting league, which I think was only available in robo games. Okay. Um, and my idea, you know, I've never built a combat at this point, I've never built a combat robot before. Never, like, I really didn't know much about him. Um, and this was about 2018 era for reference. Um, so I wanted to design this spinner basically that had like a little LIDAR concept, meaning it had a little like sensor at the end of it. And then you can map out 360, 360 degrees, like what it sees around it by like sending pulses out and measuring it back. And you're like, oh, there's someone over there. Let's go over there. Um, and so now, no, knowing that nowadays, I don't, that's not going to, it would have been a very terrible bot. I never ended up building it. <laughs> but um, that was kind of where the overhead idea came from. That's kind of why I stuck with it. Um, eventually, I built some beetle weights. Um, I think two beetle weights. And then I built one uh, featherweight, 30-pound robot, um, which is like a tenth of the size of the heavyweights. And my, my, my first featherweight, um, it's called Noferno. And yeah, it was an, it was also an overhead spinner, but it was just terrible. It just, like, it, it, we, we fought in Colorado with it, and it um, the very first hit, the very, very first hit it ever took, it drove over to the other robot, hit it, and every single motor unplugged, or like almost every single motor unplugged. Because I didn't <laughs> realize at the time, oh, you should tape up your connectors. <laughs> like, <laughs> the impact of these robots are so extreme that they literally pull out connectors, and yeah, every single, almost every single motor on my robot unplugged itself. Um, so naturally, after that experience, I applied for BattleBots with Bloodsport 1, <laughs> <laughs> which was questionable in its own right. But by some miracle, we were accepted. Um, and yeah, I, what, really, what really came down to is I got um, other teammates from Boston stuff, my, my college robotics team. Um, they were all super into it. So, we, so it wasn't just me. I should clarify, it wasn't just me building Bloodsport 1. It was, um, you know, I had, I had Nick, I had Aaron, um, they were all doing CAD work. I had, you know, you know, Tabor was doing a lot of logistical work. Like this wasn't just like a one man, one man team here. It's a definitely a team effort. And everybody on the team had like different ideas and experiences that really came together to form the first version. It's, um, it's pretty remarkable. Cause I, I feel like none of that came through on the show. Like, you know, you're relative inexperience, you know, in combat robotics. Like, I feel like when I saw Bloodsport for the first time, like in its first teaser video where I think it's spinning in a field or something, you know, and it sounds like a helicopter. And um, and then like in your in your matches, like really, I mean that it, it was it was a really dominant bot and like at the the very top of the the heap for for the rookies absolutely in 2019. I, I I'm curious to know your 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 thoughts on on the 2019 season. You know, so like you had these six fights. Uh, you went back home to Massachusetts. Now you're thinking about like, oh yeah, I want to do that again. I want to sink more time and money and energy into that thing. You know, like what what were your impressions? You know, of the the your rookie season and um, what were your thoughts about like how to how to improve go, going forward? Yeah, sure. So the 2019 season, um, I think, went as well as. I could have reasonably hoped. Um, we really, how, how, I want, I want to say lucky, but we luck by luck got nailed a lot of the designs of the decisions. Um, 
What I mean by that is, like, we got the right motor controllers, motors, um, kind of all figured out, not because of through experience. Like, most teams, like, they figure it out over competition over competition. They're like, oh, this, this combination works out well. We just happen to choose a combination that works fairly well, at least on the drive, worked pretty well. Um, and then the same thing with, we just, one thing I should note is um, we had a lot of help from Endgame, actually, Jack. Um, he, I'd almost call him a mentor for Bloodsport 1. So a lot of the time when we had a question, we're like, well, what, you know, what diameter drive shaft should we use? Like, well, how big should our wheels be? Like, we'd go and ask him and he might be able to give some insight. Um, and I think that was super, super valuable. And so then going into the next, so after the, after, after this season occurred, um, you know, couldn't be happier with how it went. We learned a whole lot. It was, you know, by all means for our rookie bot, it was fairly successful. Um, we, I think naturally we're, the team is very competitive. You know, we've done high school robotics, university robotics. We spent all our time doing this. So like, it was, it was no question in my mind that we wouldn't go back and redesign, figure out all the flaws and try to redesign it and make a much better bot. Cause we knew like the, 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 the original first blood sport wasn't going to be competitive ever. Um, like it, it could give good hits. It might be entertaining, but if we want to be in the top eight consistently, like there's no way that old bot's going to do that. Um, so the goal, the goal of V2 was to try to be a bot that could be competitive, um, going forward. Um, and so far this season, you know, that's, that's kind of worked out, unfortunately, but. Uh, this leads us to a really good, uh, initial listener question, um, from Tara Fisher, who asks, where did the name Bloodsport come from? Robots don't have blood. If, uh, <laughs> unless you didn't know that. Justin. So where did, uh, where did Bloodsport come from? Okay. It's not a good story, but, um, Bloodsport originated Basically, I was trying to apply. I had a robot idea, and I just couldn't. I didn't know. I didn't have a name. Um, so I asked Jack Endgame, who you know mentored Bloodsport one day, as you could say, um, robot ideas. And one of his robots was called Bad Blood, um, mm. which is a Taylor, Taylor Swift song. <laughs> yeah. And if you notice, Endgame is also a Taylor Swift song. But I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> the uh, so I was like, oh, Bad Blood. That's a good name. And then I don't know what where it came from, but eventually Bloodsport kind of came to mind. And I think when we were applying originally, we only had like two days to apply. So we just stuck with it. <laughs> it's a it's a very intimidating name, you know, especially when you come out and like the uh, the blades are like, you know, they've got the the dripping blood on them. It's yeah. uh, well, we it's went to the producers. We went to the producers originally for Bloodsport 1 because we came to the bot, we came to the competition season four with no paints on it. Like it was, mm. we figured it out when we got there and we just like, yeah, we sprayed it on. We went to Greg, the producer and we're like, is this, is this too gory? He was like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> so we put more blood on and, and the, the paint jobs kind of stuck since then. That's really great. Uh, before we get into uh, 2020 Bloodsport, I'll just, I'll tell a, a quick anecdote. Actually, I, I believe it was um, Bloodsport. That was the very first bot that Lindsay and I ever got to really examine up close. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and that was in the uh, that was in the back work room at Norwalk Havoc, where uh, Bloodsport was featured on a table with half of its guts hanging out. Oh yeah, okay, cool. And it was so cool, and that that you know that that space is so cool because 
we just got to go in there and for the first time literally stick my face into a, a, a 250 pound heavyweight and it was uh you know it was awesome kind of seeing just how intricate everything was and and you know the the chassis and um you know how you uh, how you kind of put everything together and uh that kind of might have been one of the catalysts for for us like getting really um energized and motivated to to starting a podcast so thank you cool good to hear <laughs> how was it bigger than you thought it was going to be every every single um heavyweight i see at this point i think is bigger than i would have expected um uh you know especially going out to boston and seeing all those bots up close it's it's something that you know television just can't do it justice like the way that they film it and um I think that that's something that sh they should really consider for how they, uh, you know, how they actually film the fights. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different techniques that could be explored to like make you feel uh, a little bit more like an ant amongst uh, giants. But totally, yeah. We'll get into 2020 Bloodsport. So in the off season, you you basically redesigned Bloodsport from the ground up. Can you can you tell us about that decision? Sure. Yeah. So like I was saying before. Bloodsport 2 is meant to be a competitive version of Bloodsport 1, really. Like, we knew even before we designed Bloodsport 1, like, if we ever continued doing this, this wouldn't be the most competitive design, but at least it's something to get started with. Um, so going into the second, to our second season, we knew we had a, a few key areas we needed to focus on. It was chassis design, uh, the weapon the weapon system, and then um, the self-running mechanism. Um, those are really the three key areas that we were focusing on. Um, so on the chassis design is probably the most obvious of the, of the three and why we went from a circle to a square is why it's something I hear a lot. And the reason for that is it comes down to, it's going to be hard without a picture, but if you imagine where the wheels sit within a circle, they're, they're within the bot, which means they're really close to the center of it. So when you turn, you don't have a whole lot of leverage. Um, so if we can bring those wheels outside, we get a whole lot more drivability and a whole lot more control. Um, so it, that's, that, that was probably the main driver for those, the square design. Um, if you notice in the front, it's actually still a little bit curved. There's still some circular influence still in there. Um, you might not, I don't know how well that communicates over TV, but it is still a bit of a circle, but it's, it's mostly a, a trapezoid at this point. And so then with the weapon system, we, we knew it never showed on TV, but we actually had one instance in the weapon in the test box where we actually flipped ourselves. Um, not by like hitting someone, but like we spun up and then it went out unstable as overheads tend to do and then flew itself in the air and then we dropped like uh, upside down. And um, so we knew going into the next season we needed to, that's like something we have to fix. We cannot go into the arena wondering if we might accidentally flip ourselves, you know, as Brutality or Tornado Murr or anyone like that does. Yeah, so the, the key thing there was figuring out what made a blade stable. Um, and it comes down to moment of inertia ratios, um, your total moment of inertia, um, how stiff your chassis is. There's all these factors that we've figured out through simulations and practical experiments. And um, we spent our summer really nailing this down. And then we came up with, you know, the tri-bar. Tri-bar, there is no intermediate axis, which without a physical, without knowing physics, it might be a little mysterious, but without a second axis, there's no axis to go un unstable on, which makes it stable. A little weird, but um but we can then go and dive into the realm of if you remember our thick bar we have those fins so the, the bar we use on endgame um 
it has those weird fins on it. And we get a lot of questions right. about why, why do we have these weird fins on it? Like, is that just for decoration? Is that, what, what is that? And it, what it does is it manipulates the moment of inertia ratio in such a way where we stretch it out to be more of a circle or a disc, I should say. And you can imagine a disc is actually the most stable blade you could have. Um, so you can imagine this, these fins are just making it more disc shaped. And by doing so, we, we get into a realm where we're stable enough where we can go against verts and not really worry about flipping ourselves over um, by the inherent nature of unstable blades, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the self-writing pole is also very weird because it's bent. Like, what's, it's a, that's a weird shape. And the reason for that is uh, on a gigabyte-style pole, you basically go from, uh, this is hard, so hard without a, a video, but um, you go from, like, you, you, you can imagine the pole kind of slaps the ground. And when it slaps the ground, when it's upside down, it pushes the bot, it tries to push the bot over, but it requires a ton of torque. So what the, what the curve does on the pole is basically, it's almost like a gear ratio. It lets the bot slowly topple itself back over instead of it being like a one-off, right. um, hits, the, hits the ground and chucks itself so back it, over. It rolls instead of tumbles. Yes, that's probably, that's one way to think about it, yeah. Um, so what that does is just means, well, if we lose a weapon motor, um, on the old on the old bar, we probably couldn't self write. But if we lose two motors here, we might actually still have a chance at self writing, because um, the is a continuous torque requirement, not an instantaneous torque requirement. Hard without a picture. I hope that made sense. But <laughs> so I, I have two questions that are actually in in some of the realms of the things that you were just talking about. Um, both of them are from Mario Cast, who asks, "Has changing your chassis uh, shape to a square uh, been advantageous for?" you know, electronic proficiency and efficiency. And um, Mario also asks, uh, it's been said that ByteForce wished that they could have bought Bloodsport in 2019. With that being said, what which blade configuration would you have used against ByteForce? Uh, on the ByteForce one, we would definitely use the thick bar. Um, that's designed to handle big vertical spinners like ByteForce. Um, it also has a pretty quick spin up time compared to like the tri bar. So that'd be advantageous. Um, as for the drive, uh, the square, I don't know if we, we use the same battery and the same electrical system um, from Bloodsport 1 and just converted it to Bloodsport 2. So I don't think there's any efficiency in terms of like power draw and things like that. There's no efficiency increases. It is better for control. Um, mm -hmm. It does give us more grip as we're moving around. And, you know, if imagine if some bot gets under us. And tries to push us backwards. We still have wheels in the back touching the ground, so we can still back away. We can still do things. It's always nice knowing which way is forward, also. Yes, yes, that, that is a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what were you hoping to design for for like this 2020 build? Um, you know, can we get into the technical specifications, the top speed? Uh, you know, any improvements that you made to reliability? Um, sure. Yeah. So, like I said. Just now, the uh, drive system is actually the same from Bloodsport 2. I think we made it a little, or sorry, from Bloodsport 1. It's a little bit faster, I think. We're, I think we're at 15 or 14 point something miles per hour now. Um, but the drive from Bloodsport 1 is very solid, so we didn't switch out too much. Um, on the weapon system, that's where we did most of our development. Um, the weapon system, 
this year, depending on how hard we drove it, would go between 20 horsepower to up to 30 horsepower combined. Um, and the big issue from the first season is we had really small ESCs, and those tend to overheat. Um, and I think we'll get into that more later. But they, uh, so we we got much. We designed a big heat sink for all the ESCs. They're all shock mounted. They're all um, the, the ESCs are much bigger now too. Or instead of 100 amp or 200 amp ESCs, so we basically doubled our capacity. Um, we also added sensors to the motors, and what that means is that we get a ton of torque at the beginning now, and the spin up is really consistent. On the first version of Bloodsport, we the spin up was if you watch some of the matches, the spin up sometimes doesn't immediately go. Sometimes it like kind of kind of stalls out right at the beginning and before it gets going. Um, and that was because all the motors are basically guessing where they are. And until they all guess right, it doesn't go. But now we have sensors. We know exactly where the motors are. When we press go, it, it just immediately goes. So I have a fan comment here from L. Irene, who writes, I love the conservative play style and the self-writing design. It doesn't break as much as gigabytes. I'm also amazed by how well the weapon controller kills the weapon's motors every time before impact. Do you guys happen to have the brakes on? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we actually want, we're one of the few teams that actually runs braking on a weapon. Um, and that is for strategic regions. Exactly what you see in Ice Whip, not the Ice Whip, the Scorpios fight. Um, they, we know if we're going to get pushed into a wall, the last thing we want to do is have our weapon going full speed. And, um, so we actually do have a light. It's not it's not super fast, but it is, you know, if, if we have 10 seconds to slow it down, we can. So, yeah, so Aaron, Aaron is the weapon operator for that. And he, especially especially in the Scorpios fight, he really he really nailed that. Um, it was definitely, and, and you'll notice, we, like, he in that match, he said, like, cooling the motor, cooling the motor. It wasn't because the motors were overheating. Um, that was just our way of saying, hey, we're winning right now by a lot. Um, we don't need to risk taking more hits if we don't have to. So let's just get some control points, drive around a little bit. And if we have to, we can go put the motor, turn the weapon back on, spend a bit more energy there and, uh, give, you know, give out a few more hits. Uh, Cameron Hutton would actually like to know, how can you tell during the battle that the weapon needs to cool off? Is there a specific indicator for that? That, so it depends on the fight. So like, like I was saying, the Scorpios fight, that wasn't because it was overheating. We had no way of. There was no feedback there. It was just, hey, time to, time to, not spend all our, you know, <laughs> energy or uh, all our energy into destroying a bot that's already destroyed. We just need to push it around and hopefully they stop moving. Um, in the uh, Kronos fight, uh, <laughs> it's a, we don't. Unfortunately, we don't really know. So we don't think it's thermal. So when we say cooling down, it generally isn't like, oh, it's. 110 degrees celsius we gotta turn off right now right, like right now it's it's aaron probably feels oh there's something not quite right because aaron's tuning it with it on the controller um you know oh something's not quite right i'm gonna shut it off for five seconds and basically our way of communicating that is oh it's it's it's, it's uh, overheating or i'm cool i'm letting it cool down it doesn't mean it's, it's overheating necessarily it's just our way of saying hey if something's wrong we're gonna shut it off give it a few seconds we'll bring it back up um, and see what's going on. Cameron would also like to know, and, and this totally has piqued my interest as well. What what bar would you use for other horizontal spinners like Tombstone? That is a question we ask ourselves a lot too. Um, it depends. You know, with Tombstone, maybe we would actually go back to our long bar because um, it's got a lot more reach than our because our new bars are much shorter, so they're stronger. 
Um, but the long bar from last year is actually a couple inches longer. So maybe we could get the chain or something. Um, and maybe we'd also go to thick. The thick bar is also quite strong and it's better with out of plane forces. Um, you know, with my teammate, Nick, and he's the one who really, he's really responsible for this. So I'm sure he could make a whole video. Like he's actually making videos right now on our YouTube channel about the use cases of each of these, um, of these weapons. And if you're interested, if anyone listening to is interested, I would encourage you to check out the, check out his videos. Um, they're really informative and we go into like, why do we choose these weapons and what, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I think that's even something that we could share during, um, within our show notes. All right, I have a question from Jesse Mollen who asks, you talk a lot about overheating weapons and managing weapon thermals. Is thermal design a variable that can still be optimized and how? Yeah, so that's what we optimized last season. So to give people a number, we tested this. We were, we were worried during after the Kronos fight, oh, maybe this is overheating or maybe we still have thermal issues. Um, so we measured it and we found that for every spin up, so zero to full speed, 250 miles per hour, um, we found the controllers would heat up by three degrees Celsius, which mm. is not a lot. Like you could do a lot of spin ups with that. Um, cause, cause they're, they start at, they start at about 20 degrees Celsius and they can go up to about hundred degrees Celsius. So do the math there. And yeah. And, and when you get to the higher RPM range, you're actually not using full hundred amps. It might, it might be decreasing quite a bit. Jesse also mentions that Rotator has what looks like fan, uh, fan grills. Is, acting cool, is active cooling a viable option for heavyweight robots? Why or why not? So this is something I've been curious about too. Um, it's the main issue is that the fans are tend, tend to be the weak point. Um, and if you're depending on active cooling, that's, it could be, it could spell trouble. So if your fan pops off or breaks, um, and then all of a sudden your, your whole system's dependence on this active cooling and then it just overheats right away. That's a bit of a problem. I could see a use case for it where you, like maybe for us next year, I don't know if we would, but we could put a fan on there. Um, and if it's just an extra layer of like insurance, like, oh, it's definitely not being um, overheating. And if it does pop off, we still have the passive, you know, we just have a big chunk of aluminum that absorbs the heat. Um, and, then, and as long as that's there, we should be okay, but maybe it's a, extra layer that we could throw on. Um, this was something I, I had, I had some grand vision where you could like mill out little holes on the top of it. And when the weapon's spinning, it like transfers air, almost like a formula one car through all the electronics so that it would like actively cool down using the weapon itself. Mm. Um, but I'm not a CFD expert or any wind tunnel expert. So, until we have someone who has some experience with that, I don't think that'll ever actually occur, but that would be a way to get free cooling in a way. I have a very serious question here from Matt Hedger, who okay. asks, we've seen circular blood sport. We've seen squarish blood sport. Will we ever see triangular and cross-shaped blood sport <laughs> PlayStation controller button quadrilogy? <laughs> uh, no, no, you won't. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. <laughs> so back in December of 2019, you announced that you were going to be sharing a shop space with Jameson Go and Sawblaze. How is that going? And, you know, do you guys see much of each other uh, since the start of COVID? Uh, yeah, it's been going great, actually. Um, yeah, we do. When, when BattleBots was uh, kick kickstarting again for the next season, we saw each other quite a bit. And what we really have is we have our shop space. It's like this small room in this in this 
commercial building. And we just have a line of tape that goes down the middle. And then we just say, hey, this is my side, that's your side. And you have <laughs> saw blades sitting on one side, you have blood sports sitting on the other. Um, that's quite cool. And uh, it's, it's kind of fun to have another heavyweight competitor working alongside you. So it's not just like this isolating, like you grinding away for six weeks, trying to put this thing together. But you know, it's like, oh no, you have the other team there that's also grinding away. And you kind of have this um, nice, I don't know what you call it. Uh, you know, nice bond ship, I suppose, yeah. um, building these bots. Um, it was kind of funny that, so with Scorpios, um, that blade design kind of spawns from me sitting in my shop alone, uh, staring over at saw blades and being like, we don't really have an answer. Like we don't have a anti overhead saw option here. How can we solve this? So I, I think I, I, we have a discord for our team. So I was like, oh, how do we solve this? Um, and because we had extra time because of COVID um, and new season, we were like, oh, let's get a, a new blade cut um, that just covers the top side of Bloodsport. And sure enough, first first match was Scorpios. And we're like, oh, so happy we like accounted for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you ever at night just uh, go in there and mix up all the components of the bots and Jameson comes in the next day and there's Blood Blaze <laughs> and Sawsport? No, no, I wouldn't <laughs> dare touch his stuff. <laughs> is there any equipment or anything like that that you that you do share since you have a shared space, or is it you like is is it really is there literally a strip of tape down the middle of the room? There is quite there is literally a a, a strip of, like a green piece of tape right down the middle of the room. But we do share a few tools. Um, we have like a, a shared drill press. Uh, we have like a small like hydraulic press. Um, uh, what else? Like a grinder. You know, there's a few. There's a few, anything that's kind of big that's not really worth having two of in a small space. I'm kind of sure. That's very cool. So, uh, let's get into the 2020 season so far, uh, and uh, let's start with Bloodsport versus Scorpios. This was obviously a really punishing match. Scorpios later said that they suffered more damage in this fight than they've ever experienced in any other match, which I think is a, a badge of honor in itself, especially because they they just uh, they took on Tombstone and they survived. But wow, that, that looked like they got a beating there too. Um, so in the rock, paper, scissors of BattleBots would suggest that Scorpios had the advantage given that it's a control bot with a big horizontal killing wedge. Um, and we basically saw that strategy on display, uh, you know, last week with this one over Tombstone. So what was your strategy going into into this match? Yeah, so Scorpios, that's, you're completely right. That's, uh, it's not the most adva advantageous matchup for us. Um, but we knew going into it, we had this big special disc blade that we could put on top. And we knew there's basically nothing that... It, Unless something horrific happens, there's absolutely nothing they could do um, to the actual bot itself. It would just their blade would hit it. Maybe it would dent it a little bit, but damage-wise, all we really had to do was get a few hits in, and we should have won the damage once. So going into that, we basically knew that we needed to focus on the control and aggression points and win on those if we were to go to a, a, a judge's decision. Um, and really, the way at least my driving style tends to be like super super fast never never staying staying in one spot if that makes sense like you as long as you're always moving it's very difficult for them to land a perfect hit on you like there's hits that are advantageous for me and there's hits that are advantageous for them and i want to make sure 
those hits that they line up, like it's not easy for them if they do get them. Um, so really just keep moving, um, aim for the edges. I like to do these things where you like kind of dive bomb them at random, if that makes sense. So you, it wasn't so much in the Scorpios fight, but you tend to, you tend to drive around and then at, at a random moment, actually the end game, the end game match is a good example of this, where you basically turn around and then suddenly attack them without like much notice. And there's not really, it's very difficult for the opponent to react to that quickly. So as long as you kind of time it right, you can get like a free hit that way. Yeah. Let's now get into to Bloodsport versus Endgame. Um, so let's set a little bit of context here. We've heard that Bloodsport and Endgame are pretty close friends, and you've actually shared a teammate in Griffin Tabor. Um, so did you guys all meet through Vex? Yes. Yeah. So we, I was actually interested, Jack. So BNS started as a Skype group in high school and then converted to a proper robotics team in university. So Jack was actually on BNS back in high school. Uh, but he was in, he was located in New Zealand, so he didn't join the. He had his own team in New Zealand. But um, yes, we all joined. We all met each other through Vex, um, and we've been competing in Genesis. Like every year, every year when you go to the Vex, the World Championship, um, you know the person to beat is always Jack. <laughs> like it's uh, he's always the top top dog. He always has these mind-blowingly efficient robots that always blow everyone away. Um, so yeah, we've been competing against each other for the longest time now that's uh that's really cool so did you um specifically request the matchup be uh versus endgame i didn't um i don't know if jack did but uh i think it was one of those things that a lot of people requested like not us i mean we we, we wanted <laughs> to fight you know it's always like kind of a dream to fight them right but we didn't specifically go out and ask for it that's cool so yeah it, it was a fast match uh you it ended in a knockout in 90 seconds so can you tell us a little bit more about how that fight went down and how you prepared for it sure yeah so in the end game fight we actually had some new new wedgelets that i don't think made to be not too many people noticed but they had little claws in the front of them and what the idea that was there was if they got a good if they were coming at us from the front those little claws should have stop them um like they'll hit the wedge catch the wedge and then they shouldn't have had a free hit on our weapon um so strategy wise we were going into that basically knowing they were going to box rush us there's like almost no way they wouldn't box rush us um so before the fight so we can actually spin our, our weapon in both directions so before the fight me and aaron coordinate and basically say hey, I'm going to go this direction or this direction. And depending on which way I want to go is which way you should spin the weapon. Because um, we want to catch, if you imagine a weapon spinning, you want to catch the outer edge of the other bot so that you like tear out their uh, wedge instead of like heading into their wedge, if that makes sense. Um, so if you notice right at the beginning of the match, I don't hesitate at all. I just go, I like, I know what's coming. I'm going to go left. Um, Aaron spinning the weapon counterclockwise we're totally prepared and whatever happens after that is kind of like instinct um but we know we had to avoid the first major hit because they're going to come out you know full full steam ahead we can't be a, a static bot we have to move um so that's basically that's basically what played out in that match we, we kept moving we, we looked for you know subtle hits here and there that we might have been able to get but at the end of the day they i guess drove over a kill slot or a kill kill saw and 
Um, their, their wheel somehow, I don't know, I still don't know how this happened, but their wheel popped off somehow and then their, their drive died and their weapon died. And it was this whole cascading effect that was very, um, very fortunate for us. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened if that match kept going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think, I think it's interesting that um, you were able to um, beat two bots that Tombstone was not able to beat uh, Scorpios in Endgame. So uh, as a fellow horizontal spinner, that, that probably feels pretty good. It, it does feel pretty good. Yeah, it's a, I have a feeling that we're going to be fighting Tombstone next year. Like, I kind of don't want to, but <laughs> Ooh! it's... Probably, probably going to happen. Oh man! Oh man! I'm uh, I'm already excited about that. <laughs> I hope it happens. <laughs> yeah, we're we're preparing already. Don't worry. <laughs> so, all right. So you've uh, you have taken care of a control bot slash overhead, you know, saw. You've taken care of a vertical spinner. Now on to a ring spinner. Um, this one kind of seems like a, an odd matchup. Um, you versus Kronos, um, but it ended up going all three minutes, which was really thrilling. It was uh, it was really remarkable given your early and earlier knockouts this season against really strong bots. Um, uh, you know, uh, kind of amazing that Kronos was able to you know hold in for that whole time. Were you surprised uh, with this matchup, and and how did you prepare for it? Yeah, we were a little surprised. Um, it's not a normal normal matchup. Um, and I don't. I feel like if you go, if we were to go against any other like Gigabyte or Captain Shredder, like the, I think this the result probably would have been the same um, in terms of we're not going to do too much damage to their internals. Their designs are actually kind of smart in a way where they they have this giant, giant, you know, super hard steel that goes all the way around their bot, um, and to get to the inside is basically impossible, I guess. Um, so. Going into that match, we just kind of knew that hopefully we could kill the weapon. And if we kill the weapon, we can just kind of push them around a little bit. Um, and that's basically what exactly happened on the first hit. The weapon died. Their ring gear kind of pops loose. Um, and then after that point, it's like, well, what am I going to do, really? Like, there's, we can keep hitting their very hard shell, but nothing's going to happen because, you know, it's all, you hit the shell, the shell spins a little bit, distributes the force. There's not, there's no weak point to really, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, there's not, there's not much that can yeah. happen there. Yeah. So um, it was an odd matchup. Um, we were kind of, we were kind of expecting, to be honest, we were preparing the day before for uppercut. We, we swore we would get uppercut. I'm oh, not wow. too sure why. It's, I think we've gotten into our heads a little bit where we're like, oh, it's definitely gonna be uppercut. We have to prepare for uppercut. So we prepared three blades for uppercut and ended up being Kronos, so. <laughs> That's a fight um, I, I hope happens. That would be a, a chaotic fight, to say the least. Uppercut's scary. It's so oh, scary. Man. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a, a really scary bot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, it's pretty cool when you look back at, you know, before reaching the round of 32, the fact that you were able to beat, you know, three very different styles of bots, um, I imagine, is is something that the the selection committee will will see and um you know think think favorably of uh when it when it comes to the the final 32 indeed fingers i mean i already know what happens but fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> um so uh alexander archer wants to know why did you guys choose to stop the blade during that chronos fight yeah so half of that was strategic meaning 
we knew that hitting it over and over and over again is not going to help us at all. We already did the damage. We don't really gain much aggression or control. So I think Peter, Peter was a little bit generous, but he was correct in that we weren't really, there was nothing we could do more than what we did basically. So we didn't keep hitting them over and over and over again. Um, but we did have, Aaron was noticing a few issues with the weapon. Um, it wasn't spinning up quite as fast. And what we discovered afterwards uh, was a bearing actually kind of exploded within the, the weapon or the motor itself. And we think that's like damage from the end game fight. We don't really know, but we have a feeling if we had replaced the bearings, it would have been okay. Um, and that, that was kind of causing some sluggishness. And we also had some ESE issues, maybe. We're not totally sure. Um, but like something wasn't quite right. So we had to go back and like kind of fine tune We'll figure out what was wrong and kind of fine tune what um, what things we could like change on the ESCs to make it a bit more robust and things like that. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. So Alexander Archer has another question: Do you think Bloodsport has taken over from Tombstone as one of the deadliest horizontal spinners in the field? <laughs> uh, I I think I need another ten years under my belt before I could uh, <laughs> claim something as substantial as that. I mean, I think I think we're up there. I think people would be, I don't think anyone's going to Bloodsport and being like, oh, that's an easy bot. Oh, we don't really need it. We only need to put our heavy wedge on that. Like, I think people will probably treat us the same as Tombstone, but I would not say we were as destructive as Tombstone or as frightening as Tombstone is yet. Someday, someday, but not yet. I think, I think you'll definitely get there. Um, so Sumi Shik asks, not to spoil the rest of the season or what might come after, but who is left that you would want to face and who do you not want to face? Ooh. Who do I not want to face? Probably Black Dragon. Maybe I'm just like, we got, we got really kicked like super hard by Black Dragon last year. Maybe it would be different now, but that bot just doesn't stop. Black Dragon would be a wonderful... Oh, wonderful bot to not have to fight again. <laughs> uh, for bots you would, uh, I would like to face. Um, ooh, who would be good? Uh, I mean, uppercut. I would love to face uppercut. I know we just talked about that, but it would be. It's one of those matches where something is going to get just absolutely wrecked, and it'll probably come down to driving. Um, and I think it would just be so much fun. And it's a nice like revenge story too. Like, oh, he knocked us out in the season four community and they, uh, you know, fight them and beat them in season six sort of thing. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really hoping for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we've talked about blood sport. We've talked about the season. I want to go back a little bit in time and learn more about what brought you here and, and your time in Vex robotics and Vex you. Um, okay. So you've competed for several years on the Vexu circuit. Uh, how did you form the team bots and stuff? Yeah, so bots and stuff came from a Skype group um, back in high school. So we were just basically people from across the country who really loved robotics, really into Vex. Um, and this Skype group kind of forms naturally as everyone had kind of similar interests. And um, eventually it moved over to Discord and Facebook and other things, but it originated as a Skype group. Um, and once we graduated, we still wanted to compete going into university. So uh, some proportion of the group converted, you know, went into and made a, a cross country, you know, national robotics team. 
Um, and we had some people on, you know, on the West Coast, some people on the East Coast, and we kind of all collaborated to um, make these university level bots. Um, and yeah, it was just, VEX is really, it's a, it's a really interesting program. Um, you can be, it's, it's probably one of the most competitive. I'm sure some first kids will hate me for saying this, but it might be the most competitive um, robotics competition out there right now. And it's just so much fun to compete. Like it's uh, to be able to, you know, go to, go to worlds and then, um, you know, you know, try to compete against all these other amazing bots from around the world. You know, like I was saying, you know, Jack was one of those bots, you know, or one of those teams that you would go to and be like, oh, I cannot wait to see what what they came up with and how good they are. And I can't wait to see if, you know, we can beat them. And um, you know, it's just a thrill every year. That's, uh, that, that's so cool. And I love the concept of, of like forming this group over Skype, especially now, you know, when, when everybody kind of has to do most things remotely, um, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are watching the season, who have been following during the off season and who want to learn how to, you know, uh, build their own bots or, or want to learn more. Um, I, I feel like, you know, this is a, this is a great way to kind of go about doing it. And if, if you are a person, you know, who's in that category, like find some people who are like-minded on the battle bots group on the combat robotics um, Facebook group and form a Zoom group. Like, I think your example shows how it, how it can go from you know talking over Skype or over Zoom and and making something real and something cool. So that that's a great um, that's just a great story to share. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite. It's really nice to to be able to keep. You know, these are all my like best friends in a way, like people who. We go to competitions together and we've always competed since high school and I've known them for like years and years and years now. And to be able to still talk to them and still talk like things we love to build and to be able to still communicate with these people, it's, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Awesome. And so kind of in that vein, do you have advice for students who are thinking about getting into VEXU? Um, I mean, just, just try it out. Um, I think, I think it's it's a great program. Um, you know, VEX first, FRC or uh, FTC. Any of these programs are like fantastic. And you'll, if you like robotics and you like designing these things and you like hands-on work, like it's a it's so much fun. It's it's something I could spend. Even today, it's like it's. I just love this sort of you know, having a problem and solving it and and competing and being you know and going to those competitions it's just a total blast so if that's your thing like just just try it um most team most high schools nowadays has some sort of robotics team um and it, again it doesn't matter what program it is so just you know join it see if it's something you like and um yeah yeah that's awesome um so we have a couple final listener questions to close us out the first comes from clepton gilroy who asks where did you decide to display your giant nut? <laughs> <laughs> it's right behind my screen right now. I mean, no. uh, and then the final question comes from Brandon Stamper, who writes, "Can you guys please win it all for my fantasy team?" Uh, <laughs> well, I can't. I have no reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'll uh, piggyback off of that. Uh, I joined that that fantasizer league that was going around uh, at the beginning of the season, and you guys have by far earned my uh, my team the most points. So thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. 
Um, thank you again so much, Justin, for, for joining us and, and giving us the time. I've said now, I think since the beginning, even before the beginning of, of this season, that I think Bloodsport could be the bot to take down Bite Force. We won't know that this season, hopefully next season. Um, but, you know, Bloodsport has been such a such a joy to watch. And um, thank you for, for putting all your time into it and, and for giving us the time to, uh, to chat with you and learn more about it. And we can't wait to see you guys in the battle box again soon. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I love the show and it's uh, great to be part of it. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we are traveling all the way to Hong Kong, where the company behind the humanoid robot Sophia says they plan to mass produce the robot later this year. Sophia was unveiled in 2016 at South by Southwest and has been on a four-year media blitz, appearing in multiple interviews and speaking at high-profile events. In 2017, she was given Saudi Arabian citizenship, becoming the first non-human to do so. Uh, so there's that. Uh, she was also named the United Nations Innovation Champion, now the company behind Sophia says they want to build thousands of units of the robot and send them to hospitals and elder care facilities to take people's temperatures and to talk with them socially to combat loneliness. There is, as usual with any type of uh, humanoid robot, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to process. Um, it seems more and more like a black mirror episode <laughs> every day but maybe i have a, a more cynical uh perspective on this type of technology than most but uh what do you guys think about um these robots that are going to be hanging out with your grandparents i i, I can just i can just imagine uh your grandfather just telling the same stories about life after the war uh to this this poor robot and Sophia never getting sick of it. I think that that's, that's really nice. I think about the uh, robot therapist. Sophia is going to have to see after she talks to my dad. <laughs> I, I once worried about him being way up in the mountains uh, alone and by himself and not having, uh, you know, anyone to talk to readily. So I got him an Alexa uh, so he could ask it questions like Alexa, who won the world series in 1975. And the very first thing that he asked Alexa to do was cook him dinner. <laughs> and then I said, no, 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 seriously, though. And he said, Alexa, clean the kitchen. And then he really talked to her again. <laughs> because anything nice I try to do for him ends up in a box. <laughs> yeah, so Sophia does sound uh, orders of magnitude more expensive than, than an Alexa. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I could see it. You know, like like the AI is supposed to learn. You know, based on what you tell it. So, you know, in in Sophia's mind, your father's the world's greatest fisherman. You know, shot the world's biggest elk. You know that that kind of thing. Uh, so, you can buy the robot's little sister. <laughs> Jesus, Kyle, what are you even talking about? 
No, seriously, there was a Kickstarter campaign for them in 2019. You can buy a tiny Sophia, 14 inches tall, with anime-style eyes and a silver body, and a bald head with a see-through backing, just like its big sister. Um, the bot also shares many of Sophia's capabilities, including the ability to sing, walk, dance, track faces, and tell jokes. This is not okay. This is, shut it down. Shut it down. Uh, they cost between 99 and $129. What? Um, yeah. How interesting. Now, Big, Sophia, Big Sophia apparently makes uh, her decisions via a decision tree programming, um, but it accesses those outputs uniquely. In other words, like each time it chooses on the decision tree what its response to a question is going to be. It's a unique response to that particular situation and those particular types of input. Um, so it so, sounds chaotic neutral. You have really kind of no idea what she's going to say next. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Hansen, who's the creator often exaggerates and grossly misleads about Sophia's capacity for consciousness. For example, by agreeing with Jimmy Fallon in 2017, that Sophia was basically alive. She's a really, really good, um, decision tree processor bot. Mm. Like mm. an expansion on those chat bots that were like really cool on the internet in 2007. Smarter child. Shade. This, this robots around the world has gone completely off the rails. And I, I tried I, to bring it back. I tried. I apologize. I, I feel, I feel partially responsible for that. <laughs> I think this might be the last robots around the world ever. <laughs> Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Luke and I are going to be at Norwalk Havoc this weekend. Tune in to the live stream. 